0: welcome to outreach church thanks for checking out this week's message to hear more subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information if you have your bibles open them up to John chapter 4 and um, i I've, I was it was funny I I was receiving revelation on Monday and there I actually heard something about the wineskins and the wine um, and I'll probably be preaching about that soon but I was just taking a walk and talking to the Lord and, and, um, and really what's been on my heart lately is how it seems like there is this divide that is continuing to grow between the culture of heaven and the culture of the world that we live in, that, that it used to be kind of congruous you know, like, like, like there, was, there was a lot of overlap in the biblical culture and the biblical values and the culture of our country and the, and the values of our country, but, but that as time goes by, that, that the gray is kind of disappearing and black is becoming more distinct and white is becoming more distinct and, and how we find ourselves as, as followers of Jesus often caught in the tension that that can create. And so I, I was just, I was thinking about that and praying about that, and, and I was listening to the Bible as I, was, as I was walking, and all of a sudden it got to John 4, and it was like my eyes were open to this truth that's been there all this time that I, I, I had never seen, and, and I felt like it was the Lord saying really practically, there's a way to do this, and I've already modeled it for you. This is not a new problem. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. You're not facing something that hasn't been faced before, and if Jesus is our example in all things then that means in things like this, there's an example that he set for us. Um, so we're going to read a, a pretty large chunk of scripture and then, and then go through it real quickly. But John chapter 4 says this. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, which near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you it's alive. I thank you that, that you've spoke this word into existence long before the, the words that we now find ourselves living in. And, and God, that, that you're not surprised or caught off guard by the times that we live in. And that you desire for us to live in this time in a way where we would represent you, God. Where we would be able to cross divides, where we'd be able to see past boundaries and and cultural ideas, Father, and be able to live by the values of of the kingdom of heaven, no matter where we find ourselves or what we find ourselves in. So, Father, I just ask that you would send your spirit to open our ears and our, our hearts and our minds to receive your word, that we would be changed and become more like Jesus because your word is hidden deep in our hearts. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is walking with his disciples. I find it interesting that the humanity of Jesus is so on display in this and that it says he was weary. He was tired. Um, and that's, that's that's one of the ways that you knew that he, he did what he did as a man because, A, God is never in need of a drink and God is never in need of sitting down and resting because he's weary. When he rested from his works on the seventh day, it was him like, finishing and resting is like, like the prosecution would say we rest our case it's it's meaning everything that needs to be done is done it's finished and i'm resting now from my work it wasn't god being worn out going whoo speaking everything to existence has worn me out i'm tired i need to sleep because he doesn't sleep nor does he slumber and so as a man, Jesus has been, has been walking with his disciples. And I, I love that it points out, too, that his disciples were baptizing more people than John. But it says even though he himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. I think that, that part of that is, is, is because he realized, if I do it, then everybody's going to think that everything that happens is because of me, and they'll discount anything that happens apart from me physically being there doing it. Of course, everything in our life flows from Jesus, but we have to be careful if we ever get to a place where the importance on what's happening gets placed on a single person, rather than realizing, no, everybody who is acting under the influence and, and by the leading of Jesus is capable of doing the things that Jesus called them to do. There's nothing special about a person. It's the God in them that's special. And Jesus is such a great leader. He's, he's making sure that even then, he's making sure people realize, look, there's no significance in me baptizing you. My disciples can baptize you. It, the significance is what you're being baptized into. And so... So Jesus isn't baptizing, and, and his disciples are, but, but he's tired. And, and it says he goes to sit down by a well to rest, and, and they're in Samaria. They have to travel through Samaria when going from Judea to Galilee. And, and there's, this, there's this cultural and religious tension between the Jews and the Samaritans that was, that was very much alive in that day, and not that long before, maybe like in 100 B.C., the Samaritans had actually sided with the enemy in the Maccabean Wars and fought against the Israelites, against the Jews. I mean, and they had this uh, the Jewish people had destroyed the temple in Samaria and ravaged their territory. And then the Samaritans went and defiled the Jews' temple by spreading bones of dead people around in it. Okay? There, it wasn't like they were just like different looking from each other or something. No, they hated each other. And, and that hatred still, to, to some extent, exists today because the area that we call Samaria, that the Bible calls Samaria, is actually now what's called Palestine. And, and there's still that cultural and religious tension between the two groups. But it was very much alive in Jesus' day. So when they're in that area, it, it's not like they're being received by their brothers they're passing through an era where people are openly hostile to each other, where they're openly uh, um, leery of each other and untrusting of each other. And it was particularly the Jews who felt that way towards the Samaritans. This is why, like, when Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, it would have rocked the Jewish people. Like, because he said, listen, there was a Jewish man in trouble and a bunch of good Jews walked by him, and the only one who would help him was a Samaritan. And it would, that's why, when it's, he points that out, even when he healed the 10 lepers, he says, we're not 10 of you healed, but only one of you returned to say thank you, and that, a Samaritan. It's like the Samaritans were considered to be different. And so Jesus is in that place, and he goes and he sits by a well because he's tired. And he lets his disciples go off and get food, and this is something that I'm having to learn. It's okay if you're worn out to let other people do stuff sometimes. In fact, it's very healthy to understand when you need to rest and let other people do things. I see some people looking at each other right now. You overachievers. Sometimes if we're not careful, what looks like serving is actually a savior complex where we're finding our worth in the things that we're doing for other people, and we don't know how to value ourselves to the point that we're okay not always doing. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to serve other people out of love for them. It's another thing when you can't rest and let other people do something. You, you just read through this, this gospel and, and read it through and ask God to open it up to you. And you'll see, like, Jesus gives leadership clues with, and, and, and things, like, like not baptizing everyone, letting his disciples do it, like, like letting them do something while he rests. Like, and, and Jesus didn't say, like, hey, guys, here's a leadership life tip. <laughs> he modeled it. He said, hey, I'm not going to baptize because everybody's being drawn to me. The power is in what they're believing and giving their life to. So you guys baptize them so that they understand that the power is actually in what is happening, not who it's happening through. But he didn't say like, hey, guys, write that down for leadership. He just modeled it and lived it. And if we, it, it, things are hidden for us, not from us. And so these things that are hidden in Scripture, it's His joy for us to discover them. But when we read the Word, ask the Spirit of God. Like, Don't read it sterile as words on a page, but sit down and engage with the Spirit of God. Engage with the Word and, 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 and read the Word and let the Word read you and have this, this communion with Him as you're reading it. And you'll see things in there you've never seen before. it will speak to you about things you weren't even knowing that you were looking in there for. And don't do it so that you have something to share with people. If you receive revelation and share it, that's awesome. But if the point of you going into the Word is to have something to give, you're, you're kind of using intimacy in a transactional way. There's, I think there's only one city or one state where transactional intimacy is legal in the United States. It's never legal in the kingdom. Ever. And so Jesus is sitting down. He's tired. And he sees this woman coming towards him. It says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He's somewhere that Jews didn't want to be. And he's sitting by a well. He's, he's alone. And now all of a sudden, here comes... In that day, what would have been the biggest cultural no-no that could have? It's a Samaritan, but it's also a woman. And in that day, it would not have been acceptable for a Jewish person to even converse with Samaritans. Never mind a Samaritan woman. Never mind when a man is alone with a Samaritan woman who is alone. They were considered unclean. They were considered to be uncouth. They They were not of us they were looked down upon they were scorned and listen none of that stuff was right and jesus is proving that by the way sometimes like things got culturally accepted among the jewish people that just because they were god's people didn't mean every one of the cultural practices was god's approved and jesus is showing that here and so he he steps through that place and he sits down at the well and here comes the woman and she comes walking up and what she would have expected probably is for if he did talk to her for her to tell her to go away Or that he himself would just get up and leave the area and turn his back on her and have nothing to do with her. This is what she's expecting. We have to understand something, that people that don't know our hearts are expecting something of us by the way that they label us. Rightly or wrongly, They have a perception of you. They have a perception of Jesus. They have a perception of Christianity. They have a perception, and it's been fed partially by their own insecurities and their own ignorance and not knowing, but it's also been partially fueled by the way that they've been treated or what's been demonstrated to them in the name of Christianity. And you notice Jesus just kind of bypasses all that stuff, and he looks at her and he says, give me something to drink she would not be expecting for him to ask her for something to drink. She's expecting rejection. She's expecting to be ridiculed. She's expecting to be treated like a second-class citizen. She's not expecting Jesus to ask her for something at all. Merely touching her bucket makes him unclean. Never mind drinking water that came from a Samaritan's bucket. we got to make sure that we, like Jesus, are way more aware of what's inside of us than we are afraid of what's in the world. Amen. He doesn't, he's not afraid that he's going to become defiled by interacting with someone who's unclean. In fact, he probably sees the only way she'll ever become clean is an interaction with someone who carries the thing that she needs to become clean. And so Jesus looks at her and says, give me something to drink. And and I I love what he did in that moment because in that moment, he, he doesn't talk to her as if she's a Samaritan. He doesn't talk to her as if she's second class, as if she's a woman in a society where they were lower in the totem pole than men. He actually looks at her and says, you have something of value that I want from you. And in a moment, She feels valued and seen, not judged and condemned. Could he have found something wrong with her? Yeah. Could he have started with, where's your husband? Yeah. Could he have started with who she wasn't? Yeah. But he doesn't. He instantly makes her feel valued and seen. And she's not prepared for that. People aren't prepared for you looking beyond the cultural projections that are placed upon them and that even they carry themselves and seeing them as someone who has something of value. They're not prepared for that. They're actually more comfortable being rejected in a lot of cases because it's what they know and it's how they've learned to live, and it actually confirms wrong ideas that they have and solidifies them staying in that place of living with those wrong ideas because you've just given them more proof that proves what they've always known to be true is true, and there's no question they have to ask of themselves when you respond the way they expect you to respond. This catches her completely off guard. She would never have expected to have been engaged in conversation by a Jewish man. Never mind him see that she may have something that he actually needs. Don't forget that everybody you meet carries something that you don't. I was, I was thinking about how this right here is such a good example of how we can live in the world but not of the world. I was thinking about how this is such a great example of how we can be influenced by the culture of kingdom that's inside of us rather than the culture of the world that's outside and being projected or even that people themselves are living by. Listen, you can't change the way people perceive you, but you can change the way that you actually live. You can't change the ideas that people have about you because of the judgments they've made about you. But what you can do is live like Jesus so that you actually live in a way that surprises them, catches them off guard, and makes them have to start to ask questions. That's what Jesus did. He could have told her, you're bad, you're wrong, you're a Samaritan, you've been divorced five times. He could have started with all that stuff and told her how bad she was. Here's the truth she's probably well aware of the fact that she's been divorced five times and that she's living with a man that's not her husband. It's not as if when Jesus asked that question, revelation came and she was like, oh my gosh. I've been married five times. And the man I'm with now isn't even my husband. No she's well aware of that already. He doesn't point that out until she's already wanting what he has. Watch. Jesus answered she said how how is it that you ask me? A Jew asks me a Samaritan woman. She's pointing out to him like, don't you know that like what you're doing is not what I've expected you to do? Like she's so caught off guard that she actually reveals her heart in that moment and says, I wasn't expecting you to even talk to me. Never mind. Ask me for something. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman on top of that. That's, that's what she's walking around aware of. That's what she's carrying in her heart when she sees Jesus. It wasn't to run and fall at his feet. It was an expectation of rejection. A lot of people are expecting to be rejected by you. They're not expecting you to look at them and see them as valuable and carrying something of importance. They're expecting rejection. And when you don't reject them and you actually speak through that stuff, it catches them so off guard that a lot of times they'll reveal what's in their heart. She does. She says, "Wait, Whoa how are you asking me? I'm a Samaritan and a woman. Jesus says this, Jesus answered her and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now he's telling her, just like I see more in you, there's a lot more in me than you realize. You think you have me figured out, because you've labeled me as a Jewish man and you know how Jewish men should respond, but there's way more inside of me. And if you actually knew what I was carrying, you'd probably want what I have. Because no matter how tired and how weary and how hungry and how thirsty Jesus is, he still lives with an awareness that no matter what, I still have something to give. I still carry something inside of me that every person that meets me needs, even if they don't know they need it. And if they knew that what, I, what it was that I carried, they'd ask me for it. The problem isn't that they don't need it. The problem is they don't even know that what's standing in front of them is the thing they've been searching for their entire life. What if we started living with a little bit of that awareness when you wake up in the morning and you walk out the door going, I carry the thing that every person who hasn't met him yet is searching for and has spent their life trying to find. That's why she's been married so many times. She's looking for a love that can only be found in him. And every time she drops her bucket into the well of a man's heart, it comes up with something that leaves her thirsty again. Jesus is standing there saying, you've come with a bucket and you're looking for something. If you get what you came for rather than what you need, you're going to come back here again and you're going to be thirsty again. But if you get what you need, you'll actually leave here with something that will reproduce itself continually inside of you. And you'll never come back here looking for that thing again because you'll carry it everywhere you go. Oh, He's amazing. Jesus is so amazing because he's just like, I'm going to love you. I know what you're looking for. I'm not going to let you push me away. I'm not going to let you tell me why I shouldn't be here talking to you. I'm not going to let your expectation of rejection put me into a place where I give you what you're looking for. I'm going to give you what you need. And if you reject that, then you're actually rejecting truth rather than a, 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 some, a, a, a cultural example that's been built in front of you that has nothing to do with who I am. You're going to get loved. And you're going to know it. And you're going to leave here. If you take what I'm offering you, it'll start reproducing inside of you. Look what she says to him. Oh, I wrote this down. I want to I read this. If we aren't careful, we can value what people have more than we value what we have when they have more in the natural than we do. But the person with the biggest bucket and longest rope is still going to be thirsty when they, drink, when they finish drinking the water they're pursuing. We actually carry the river that flows endlessly inside of us. It's just this awareness that I carry something greater than anything else they could ever find. Like living with that awareness not in an arrogant way, but in a way that makes you want to humble yourself and step aside and step around everything that would try to push you away and actually offer to them the living, the living water that flows from inside of you. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Now she's curious. Like now, now she wants what He has but look what happened first in verse 11 she said to him sir you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where do you get that living water see at this point she doesn't know that what he's talking about but she's curious Because he's engaged with her and just the fact that he has shown her respect and actually stepped outside of what she expects from him and hasn't rejected her and hasn't turned her back on her and hasn't told her that she should go away, that he actually asked her for something. Like maybe God would have you ask a question of somebody rather than feeling like all you could do is preach to them. There's a time for preaching, but maybe it would come when they actually want the thing that you carry because you've shown them something that they weren't expecting to see. I'm not saying every time. There were times Jesus just started preaching to people. That's why you have to be led by the Spirit, because it's not a formula. Ask a question, get them excited, get them engaged. It's not. It's not. Look what she says. You don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. She's been drinking from a well that was given to her by her ancestors. And every time she gets a drink from it, it satisfies for a moment, but it can't sustain. You can't live by what was passed down to you from other people. Not long-term, it'll always leave you needing to go back to that place to get filled again. You need to have your own experience and own encounter and own relationship with God the way Jacob did so that you actually have something to give rather than needing something from someone continually. This is what she's saying to him. She's saying, Oh, well, how could you do that? Because what we got from our father Jacob, what she doesn't understand is Jacob had an experience with God that led him to being able to pass down the things that he passed down. But you can't live forever on what's been passed down from other people. At some point, what people pass down to you needs to lead you to a place of you experiencing the thing that they experienced so that you have your own and you're not constantly trying to drink out of somebody else's well. This is little clues. Now Jesus looks there and says, everyone who drinks this water, what's he saying? Everyone who drinks the thing they've been passed down from other people, they're going to be thirsty again. My life can challenge you and encourage you. Your life can challenge me and encourage me, but it can't sustain me. I have to have it for myself. I can't drink out of your well forever, or I'll constantly have to come back to you and to that place. That's why we try so hard as a church family to give away something to people Everybody here, the the church family, the leadership, everything that we do is to give people what we have so that they can go get it for themselves and have their own relationship with Jesus where we can all gather and encourage each other. But you're not dry Monday through Saturday, hanging on, waiting for Sunday. You're not living for the weekend. You're not just trying to make it through so you can get back to the well. No, you have a well that springs up inside of you and flows endlessly, Does that mean there's no value in gathering? No, it means there's value in gathering, but we're not all coming here empty, hoping that he pours something out. We're all coming here full and overflowing and joining together and encouraging each other and challenging each other. And then when we leave, we don't leave with a limited supply that runs out by Wednesday and we gotta go back to the well on Wednesday. We leave with an endless supply flowing inside of us. So that we have everything that's needed for life and godliness because of the knowledge of his son. That's what Peter was saying. He's saying, listen, it's not that we have something you have to continually come back for and continually run out of. He's saying everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you freely through the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything. We can learn from each other and encourage each other and challenge each other and pray for each other, and, 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 and when someone falls down, we come along and we pick them up and we restore them, but we're not living off of each other's well. We're living out of the flow of the, of the Christ that's inside of us. If you're in a relationship with somebody... Listen, there's young people in here. If you're in a relationship, young or old, I guess, married or dating, it doesn't matter. If your relationship is constantly being filled by somebody else, you have placed a burden on them to be Jesus to you. And when they can't be who only he can be, you'll be disappointed and you'll find fault with them when the truth is you're like the woman at the well dropping your bucket into a well that can't sustain you and then being angry at the person who was never supposed to be what you want them to be from the beginning. If you're not being fulfilled by God first, you'll never find something in a person that will replace that, ever. You can do it five times. It's not the wrong person. It's not the lottery, and hopefully this time I get it right. It's that I have to actually find him so that I'm not looking to someone else to fill my bucket then I actually have something I can give when I meet someone who's empty. And I'm not disappointed in them because they can't fill me. I see them as needing the thing that I have, and I give them the living water that they're looking for, which is the thing I'm living by, which is Jesus, so that they can become fulfilled, and in turn, they can have that flowing inside of them, and they go from being needy to being full. It's quiet in here. truth so she says give me this living water so I will not be thirsty nor come here to draw now she's curious and now she actually wants what he has now she's she's like oh you have something that I want would you give it to me and you realize now is the first time that Jesus says something to her that convicts her He didn't start with, "Um, you're a Samaritan woman who's been married five times. and The guy you're with now is not your husband, so you need to get your act together. But if if we walk around looking for what's wrong, we'll be drawn to finding what's wrong, and that'll be the first thing that we address. And so many times we'll sound like the voice of the enemy because he's already making accusation. The last thing they want to hear is that voice they've been hearing all night when they've been trying to sleep echoed in their head by a person standing in front of them, and they'll turn and walk away. Look, I'm not saying that God would never have you call something out. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that a lot of times Jesus waited until people actually saw that he had something they wanted before he did anything that convicted them. I mean, think about it. Even with his own disciples, they're in the boat. We talked about this a while ago. Remember, they're, they're in the boat, and they're terrified, and they think they're going to drown, and they wake him up. He doesn't rebuke them until he's calmed the thing that is frightening them. He speaks to the storm, and then he says to them, why is it you still have no faith? Why? Because he cares about them and what's bothering their heart. And so he deals with that first. And then once the thing that's making them live in this way that's panicked and fearful has been dealt with, then he turns to them and brings them correction and brings them truth and talks to them about what it is that they're lacking that would keep them from finding themselves in that position again. But it's only after he's demonstrated his care and his love for them. So she says, give me this. I want it. Now he says, go, tell your, go call your husband and come here. And now she looks at him and says, why? Because she sees that he actually cares about her and because her mind is so blown by the love and kindness that she's been shown by a man she doesn't expect it to be shown by. Like to us, you guys, we, we, we read this story and it doesn't seem like a big deal. This right here would be like a, a, a person from the Christian circles walking up and seeing like the most vicious killer from the Taliban sitting there and them being kind and accepting us and loving us and speaking to us like there's this paradigm there of 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 tension and anger and hatred and animosity they were just at war with each other not that long ago they were just desecrating each other's temples not that long ago like there's this history of tension and hatred there so when jesus speaks to her and even says i would drink out of your bucket if you gave it to me this is kindness and love on a level that she could not even be prepared for And now that she's been shown love and kindness, he asks her a question, and she actually trusts him enough to give him a truthful answer. Almost. Watch what Jesus does. She says, I have no husband. Well, it's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Jesus says to her, You've said correctly, I have no husband. So what does he do? He affirms her. He doesn't point out, well, yeah, but you've had five, liar. (laughs) What does he do? He looks for where she's been truthful, and he affirms that. And he doesn't just, but here's the beautiful thing, is all of a sudden he switches, and a word of knowledge gift starts flowing in him. You know, the truth of the matter is, is I think so many times if we're not careful, we think, well, if God would give me a word for someone, I would go and talk to them. A lot of times you see the gifts start to flow after the engagement's already been made after he's stepped around cultural and social issues, after he's put himself in a position that people wouldn't put themselves in normally, after he's stepped outside of what's expected and what's normal, if we just live inside of our comfort, there's a good chance we may never see some of the things flow through us that God wants to see flow through us because it took Jesus stepping outside of what was comfortable and accepted. It took Jesus actually knowing that he's tired and he needed to rest And being okay with that. It took him being okay with other people going and getting the food while he sat there and did nothing. It took him talking to a woman he wasn't supposed to talk to, seeing her for value. All these things happen first, and then the gift flows. Don't get it backwards. Don't sit around thinking, well, if God would just give me a word, then I would go and speak. Maybe if you would go and speak, God would give you a word. You've said correctly, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. You've said this, you've said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She wants what he has. She's been loved and shown kindness. And then he operates in a gifting. I think a lot of times it's not that God is in heaven lacking gifting to pour out on people. I think rather he's actually looking for people who will show love and kindness and not be affected and not be impacted by the world that we live in so that he can pour himself out through them. I don't think he's in heaven going, Oh, I got to come up with a word today. I ran out yesterday. He has all knowledge and all wisdom. He can give you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom for somebody. He can give you a prophetic word. He can do something through you that catches their attention and points them to him. But I think he's looking for people he can trust those things to who are going to use them to bring people to him rather than to themselves. I'll close up with this. Skip down to verse 28 near the end. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. She left the things she thought she needed because she found the things she really needed. Maybe we should stop worrying about what people are carrying around that they think they need and trust that if we give them what they really need, they'll leave that behind and they'll go off and pursue life following Jesus. Jesus didn't tell her, hey, if you want me to do this, you have to do this, 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 and this. He actually told her, this is what you're looking for. He never even told her, like, hey, leave your water pot. He didn't have to. When the greater comes, the lesser diminishes. Now, if, if you see someone that has received the greater walking around carrying the lesser in their hand, then maybe there's a time like Jesus went up to the man who was healed who was still carrying his mat around with him and said, be careful, don't sin, don't fall back into sin, or something worse might befall you. Maybe there's a, ch- a time where we need to come up and say, hey, remember what you said yes to. There's nothing wrong with that, but what I am saying is Jesus' concern wasn't getting her to leave her water pot and go tell people about him. Jesus' concern was giving her the thing that would cause her to leave her water pot and go tell people about him. He wasn't doing it unto that. He was doing it unto himself, and the fruit of that is her leaving behind the thing that she came with and going and telling people about him. He wasn't evangelizing her to evangelize, He was evangelizing her because he sees a woman who's broken and desperately in need of something that only he can give. And he didn't care about the social expectations of the day. He didn't care about the boundaries that people had put in place. Listen, boundaries can be a healthy thing, but if they are a boundary to you following the Spirit of God, they're evil. You make sure you don't have a boundary in your life that if the Spirit of God walks past, you won't follow. I remember when, when I'll, 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 I really will end with this, when, when, but it's a, it's a great example of this, um, when Aaliyah was in the hospital. Yeah, I think I've shared the story before, but it's just a profound display of it. When Aaliyah was in the hospital, um, she had a nurse who lived a lifestyle that was something that's not God's best for them. And it was pretty obvious, and I picked up on it as soon as I met the person, but I really didn't care about that. Not that I don't think it's wrong, not that I think it's okay, and not that I don't think it's less than God's best and that I think it's going to bring destruction into their life, but I wasn't so worried about the thing that I could see wrong because I could see him for who he was. And so I just loved him, shared with him, hugged him, talked to him, Sooner or later, he started to trust me and started to talk about the things he had been through and the things he'd experienced and the hurt and the pain and the stuff he'd gone through. And I didn't, I didn't say, well, see, that's the problem, and that's why you do this. And I didn't try to fix him. I just talked to him about the love of a father. I talked to him about Jesus. I shared the gospel over and over and over and over again, to the point where one day he asked some friends of ours who know, who, who, who know me, when they told him that I'm a pastor, he said, doesn't he know that I am gay? And they said, I'm pretty sure he knows. And he would tell me later that he kept waiting to be rejected. And when he wasn't rejected, but instead was continually loved, he started to listen to what we were saying, and he started to want what we had. And over weeks days and months, he came to a place of wanting a relationship with God and wanting out of the relationship that he was in. But I didn't tell him, you've got to leave that in order to have this. I talked to him about this, trusting this would take care of that. I'm not saying we never point things out that are wrong. Jesus did sometimes. Paul did sometimes. What I am saying is make sure that we don't have a formula that walks around looking for what's wrong rather than aware of what we carry that's right and convinced that if people would have what they really need, they'd let go of the lesser things. And then if somebody takes the greater and they're still trying to hold on to the lesser, you can come alongside of them and you can talk to them about that and you can help them walk away from that stuff because some of the stuff doesn't change in an instant. But at least they're walking away from something because they're walking towards someone Rather than leaving everything behind in hopes that they'll find something. I think this is the way that Jesus showed us, like how we live in this time, where, where we really are faced so many day, every day, just about, and faced with so many things, that where culture is one way, and the Word of God is another way. And Jesus said, "Listen, you've got to understand something. I don't care about that stuff because I think the answer to that stuff is me. So I'm going to give her what she needs. She'll disregard the lesser once she has the greater. So, Father, would you just awaken inside of us again that, that that belief that what we have is so much greater than anything else in this world? God, that we would see people through an awareness that they're looking for the very thing that we carry, even if they don't know it. And that, God, our, our concern would not be with making people feel condemned it would be showing them a way that they could live free so that the only thing left is conviction. Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that shows men what's wrong, not the condemnation that echoes the voice of the accuser. God, let us be people who boldly declare who you are and what you've done. Let us be people who who see people as desperately needing you and believe that we carry the answer. And God, let us not sit back and wait for a gifting to move before we'll step into love. But Let us step into love believing that's enough and if we need something, we'll have it because you're more committed to people than we are. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.